0: Money FM eighty nine point three Best of Weekends. International News Review.
1: As always, Steve Oken, uh, senior advisor at McClarty Associates, joining us for our international news review. Steve, good morning. Good morning, GBZ. Good morning,
2: grumpy old man.
1: <laughs> you see. There you you always get the positives. Steve would never lie as well. i got to say that. He
2: some right in under the radar. They come right in. Good morning to
1: uh, you. All right. Hey, uh, Steve, uh, speaking of a lot of old men and a few old women, too, uh, the G7 has just kicked off uh, this weekend, their annual uh, three-day summit in the U.K. Uh, we saw Boris Johnson out uh, talking about vaccines. We saw the Queen uh, hosting them to a party. Uh, give
0: us the latest on, on what we know is happening there or, or is expected to happen. Well, this is a, a really critical meeting because this is the chance for two things to occur. One, it's to show the world, right, the capacity of multilateralism, the, the, the capacity of countries to work together to solve our problems uh, that we face as a, as a globe. Um, it's that the major democracies are best to tackle these big global challenges. And then for the United States, of course, is to show that it is back to the multilateral system as a partner and shift away from where Donald Trump had taken the United States.
2: And Steve, I was watching it, and anyone who hasn't seen it, do watch the photo op alone because the comedy, priceless. (laughs) Watching Boris Johnson trying to arrange those guys on what looks like a windy, cloudy, gray Cornwall beach, priceless. But that aside... We'll get to China in a moment, but it does seem a little bit of a we're all in this together now. You mentioned there it's liberal democracies unite against uh, COVID 19, against the more pressing issues of the day. And I was watching it thinking, Steve, that China, China is hovering in the background. And it does feel there's an, I won't say us and them, but there does feel an element of look, guys, we're all back, we're all united. Western world. And Russia as well, right? And Russia, of course. Yeah. yeah, But I'm thinking more specifically about China, Taiwan, which we'll get to. It was an element of that, Steve, an element of, look, guys, we're all clenching our muscles together. Western world unite. Well, and that's that is exactly what
0: the G7 and certainly the United States within the G7 is hoping to accomplish. It's to say we have to stick together as we enter a much more difficult phase of competition with China and looking at what China's done. The EU broke off in in part from the United States during the Trump era because the EU could not trust the United States to work with the EU. So instead of uniting together to solve these multilateral challenges, you saw the EU negotiate its own trade agreement with China, very different from what the U.S. was doing. You saw the U.S. taking a a much harsher approach when it came to sanctions and when it came to technology so China's not hovering in the background, Neil. China's in the China. foreground on, on, on this. Um, and that is what is is going to, to unite the G7, is that we have to come together in competition. You start with simpler things like the, the COVID, you know like, COVID um, you know, like like on COVID, mm. and you donate a billion vaccines. And you don't do it for political gain. You do it because it's the right thing to do and how you solve it, and you give those doses to Covax, right? So then they can decide where they're best needed as opposed to doing vaccine diplomacy, which is which is what China has been doing. Um, and they look, the US, the EU were more or less on the sidelines and China and Russia were using, you know, COVID vaccines for political purposes. Now the G7's coming together to saying there's a better way, it's the multilateral way and and we're going to show the world unite with us and maybe that'll bring the US and the EU closer together on China
1: oh Steve the, the G7 would never do anything like donate vaccines for political gain I mean, oh, the, seriously it's altruism all the way with the G7
2: especially when the likes of Oxfam have come out and said 1 billion is not even a drop in the bucket when there's 4 billion people need, that need the I shots I think the figure was 13 billion around there at least <laughs> yeah. if we're serious about vaccinating the planet but hey ho <laughs> but your point is but, well taken but I was going to say well, Glenn I'm going I'm to argue with you for a second sure yeah Yes.
0: But the public interest right, and the political interest can be aligned. Oh, absolutely. Right? And that's I where totally you are that. most effective. And that's what the G7 takes more of a if, if we can achieve the public interest, that helps us politically. Sure. Right. China goes in the opposite direction. What is in our political interest? And then we're going to do that first. We're going to give vaccines to those countries who we want to align with Mm. with us as opposed to with Taiwan. We want to use this for uh, access to their markets when it comes to infrastructure or the the such. So when you put the public interest first, the political interest often comes with that. So, of course, there's a, a political gain. But. You get the political gain by doing what's right, most of That's all I
1: wanted
2: to hear you say, Steve. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) No, I like it. Let's get a bit more feisty. But also, Steve, I mean, there's a literal economic interest here, isn't there? As we saw with the second and now third waves, it doesn't matter if your entire country is vaccinated. As we're seeing with the Delta variant now in the UK, uh, cases are going to reach 10,000 a day by next week, even though 60% of the country is populated, unless you vaccinate the planet you're always going to have an economic detrimental economic impact. So from an economic yeah. standpoint, they have to vaccinate the planet as well, Steve. No, exactly. Because you're getting more and more
0: variants. And you know, what happens when we, you know, get the variants that, you know, the, the, you know, variants like Omega, right. Which were way down the line from Delta. Mm. Well, the current vaccines work, you've got to get people vaccinated beforehand. So it is in countries economic interests, not to just vaccinate themselves, but to vaccinate others. and, mm. Look, it's not going as long as we'd like, but it's look. We were at zero, you know, you know, a couple days ago. U.S. came in with five hundred million. The the rest of the G seven came with another five hundred million. That's a billion more than we were at. So yeah, yeah, it's not four billion, but it's more Uh, than zero.
1: To be sure, I mean, it's all good news. Whenever people can get healthy and stay healthy, that is a good thing, no matter where it's coming from. Uh, Your point well taken on the possible Uh, motives behind the scene. Okay, let's move on. Uh, We got a lot to talk about. China sanctions the anti sanctions law. Now, this is a rollout of a law against foreign sanctions. Uh, it's left European and American companies, well, they're saying, shocked and irreconcilable uh, compliance issues are at, at, uh, at, at on the offing here. Tell us more about this anti-sanctions law.
0: Well, this in a way came out of nowhere. Under Chinese law, before they promulgate a, a new law, there's supposed to be three readings so that people get a chance to look at it. There's public you know, consultation for at least you get to see what's coming. This came out with no public consultation. This came out only after two readings. So this surprised everybody because it was really sped through the Chinese government's own system. And what this is saying is it's getting very personal now that if you are, uh, if you work for a government um, that sanctions China, and this is directly about you know, Xinjiang sanctions and and sanctions on Hong Kong, um We are going to go after you personally, and we're going to go after your family. And so this gets to be very difficult in terms of, one, government officials, will they be able to travel anymore? What do they do after leaving government? What do they do um, for their families if they're working for a company? Are they going to be at risk? And then it also goes on to say if a company – Complies with these sanctions, then they could be eligible for for this uh, anti sanctions law penalties in China, which could include deportation. This is going to be a nightmare to deal with as a as a business doing business
2: in china I find it absolutely fascinating steve and and from a you know on the ground point of view, how is this economically practically even enforceable is it enforceable i mean do you see I mean, how would it even work is what I'm asking. Would, would China's authorities march into an American business in the middle of the CBD and, and, and cancel their visas and send them home? I mean, how would it work practically?
0: Well, I mean, I think what the goal of this is, is not to, to do that, but to prevent the laws from coming in that might have ever come in beforehand. Right. So they want to make it so impossible to comply With these laws Mm. that the laws never come in to begin with. That's what I think the aim is. It's going to be very, very difficult to do.
1: Steve, I was reading one of the news reports. The uh, European Chamber of Commerce has already come out strongly against it, as would be uh, uh, expected. The American Chamber of Commerce uh, Chairman Greg Gillian, uh, Gillian, excuse me, has cautioned that this, quote, law presents potentially irreconcilable compliance problems for foreign companies. Now, the Chinese foreign ministry spokesman says that he, didn't, he did not see a definite link between the new law and foreign investment. And he said, quote, if anything, the enactment of the anti-foreign sanctions law provides a predictable legal environment for foreign companies operating in China. So predictable, I guess, meaning don't do anything wrong or you're going to feel some pain. I guess that would be predictable, wouldn't it?
0: Well, no, I mean, I think that's what, because of of you know, that rule of law versus rule by law uh, dynamic that you often have in a, in a country like China, where it, it forces businesses to, because of the uncertainty to not take actions whatsoever that may fall into that very gray area. And so that's the difficulty you have if you're a compliance officer for a company how do you know whether or not you're violating chinese law you don't therefore you don't do something beforehand and it gets to be very difficult this very much goes uh, you know against what china had been saying you know just a week ago right we mm-hmm. have to change all of our pr strategy we have to become yeah. more modest more and open. humble we yeah. have to become yeah. lovable Right. I don't know that this law helps along the lines of, of China being perceived as more lovable. And I would um, assume, Steve, that your,
1: your phone is going to be ringing off the hook at McClarty Associates, people trying uh, companies trying to figure out what they,
0: what they're going to do and how they're going to respond to this, right? No, I mean, I mean, and and that's, you know, part of this, you know, this uncertainty that is very bad for businesses, but is very good for people who are in the political risk. <laughs> in the, you know, there you go.
1: <laughs> Ka-ching. The Ka-ching. Hey, uh, this this plays on to another story. Not it's not exactly the same, but it is related. And that is this uh The U.S. uh, diplomat, top diplomat in Hong Kong, talking about the national security uh, law with Article 29 that was passed a year ago. But this past week in an interview with Reuters, he said that this law creates an atmosphere of coercion that that threatens the city's freedoms, Hong Kong's freedoms, and its standing in the international business hub. This is quite unprecedented for the, the top diplomat to be so public in his rebuke over
0: another country's laws, is it not? Yeah, well, this is this is no nothing has changed in the past year in Hong Kong. I think what you see changing is the U.S. is going to be more open and indirect in confronting China, Mm -hmm. where it sees China infringing on human rights. This is part of that values based diplomacy that the Biden administration is doing. It's where you see, you know, the secretary of state of the United States again said that there was a genocide occurring in Xinjiang and said that to, directly to the Chinese his Chinese counterpart this week, is where you have the U.S. Consul General in Hong Kong saying that this national security law, which prohibits foreign government officials who are accredited in Hong Kong by the Hong Kong government to talk to Hong Kong people. I mean, how can you that's part of your job? That's part of being accredited. And so it's it's no new policy from the Chinese government here, but it is a new view of the United States, certainly that we are going to be very open and direct in sticking up for what we see are you know, universal
2: values that we are going to promote. And do you think, Steve, that is why? I mean, I do wonder about the timing as the G7 goes on now in Cornwall in England. You've got China with these anti-sanction laws. There's an element, at least to me, of saber rattling going on right now. Lines are being drawn in the Cornwall sand, quite literally, while you're meeting in the G7. Look what we're doing over here, which ties in very nicely to, Mm Glenn. I'll mention Taiwan in a moment. There does seem to be an element of this now, uh, Steve i use the word belligerence loosely but a slight element of that on both sides as they're both sticking in if you like bedding down for the long term
0: what this is it's it's the shift is is kurt campbell the the senior american diplomat working on asia issues has said the the era of engagement is over and the era of competition is now here and so what you're seeing now is the U.S. doing this now on all fronts, that we are going to cooperate where we can on the pandemic and on climate with China, with Russia uh, as well. We're, we'll cooperate with Russia where it's in our mutual interest to do so, such as in you know nuclear arms control. But we are going to compete and we're going to be direct. And this is not going to just be, you know, done for PR purposes. This isn't just going to be done at one offs. It is it is going to be consistent. So I think you're going to see this type of of in diplomacy this type of directness all the time now not just around a g7 summit not just around a statement here or
1: there. steve just to be clear this this diplomat in hong kong smith he would not have done this on his own i mean washington would have had to known about this and approved it right the state department would
0: no of course yeah no no when you make a a statement like this, and you're an ambassador or in, in the senior uh, U.S. official, such as the consul general in Hong Kong. No, that goes through the State Department, goes through the the NSC. So, so this is part of this coordinated a,
1: this coordinated effort you were talking about by the Biden administration to talk
0: about values. Yes, much much more coordinated now than it was under the Trump administration. Yeah, yeah. You now have a, a whole of government approach. Uh, to, to foreign policy and certainly to China that was was mm. missing in the last administration.
1: Okay, John Senna, take that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> our final story here uh, is about uh, Japan calling Taiwan a country this week, which uh, those of you who have been following this saga over the past uh, few weeks uh, is not mm. something that Beijing takes ty- kindly to. <laughs> what, what happened, Steve?
0: Well, I'm you know, I, I imagine... Unlike Mike, um, Prime Minister Suga is not a regular listener of this show, or you would not have- Wow. <laughs> well, look, we haven't heard that he doesn't listen. Yeah. We haven't heard that he
1: doesn't listen. We so tend so to be a half full listen. kind of guys <laughs> on this show. We're assuming he listens, <laughs> of course. <laughs>
0: I'm so glad you need to mention his name when you do the rundown of there the regulars. I, I,
2: yeah. I've missed it. I've missed Prime <laughs> Minister They're <Suga>. always <laughs> listening, Steve. They're always <laughs> listening here. <laughs> anyway, so what? So, did,
1: a few days ago, he he made some comments. What happened?
0: You no, know, I, I mean basically, it was a. a this was really a, a slip of the tongue, as John Cena did. I mean, he was talking about uh, you know he, he, he a string of locations or places that have been handling. Uh, COVID. I think it was COVID. Well, it was in that context. And he said, you know, countries like Australia, New Zealand and Taiwan. Um, and it was just something that came out naturally. It's, it's something that you wouldn't expect uh, a prime minister to do. But it really was. It was a slip of the tongue. Unlike, uh, you know, John Cena, uh, the country of Japan uh, is not going to gravel. Uh, and apologize yeah. um, and said look our policy is very clear it's you know it's the same policy the United States has it's you know there's a single country that country is is China but they weren't going to apologize China had to say what it said now the interesting thing will be will China take it further or will they just say don't do this again mm-hmm. and then move on which is presumably what will happen but in this new Lightened era of global tensions, who knows?
2: And where do you, I mean, this is probably a question you can't answer, but clearly, again, even this example with Japan fits into the narrative of sides being taken up and in emboldened stances of all countries concerned. Where does this go from here? Do you see increasing belligerence on both sides?
0: Well, I mean, on, the, on the, the Taiwan issue, I mean, and, you know, I was on, a, on a, a, a call with a client and we were just going over their website and their website, you know, had a, a tab that said countries and it said, you know, we, we are in 61 markets and I said, or we're in 61 countries. And I said, go make sure your dropdown does not list Taiwan as one of those 61 countries. Either you take off the list of countries if you have it, or let's come up with a different word. Or is be prepared to face the
1: consequences. <laughs> no,
0: you do not want to face those consequences. And it, you shouldn't call it a country because like, the United Nations doesn't recognize it as a country, right? It's, 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 a, it's a territory. It's a market. It's an economy. I mean, you could use whatever word you want, but you've got to be – look, you do have to be careful. And you have to recognize the political sensitivities if you're going to be doing business in China, if you're going to be engaging with China diplomatically. And you have said officially there is only one China, and you, you kind of leave it vague don't call Taiwan a country call yep. it but you could deal now now that what is interesting coming up at the at the g7 is but should you get Taiwan more engaged in multilateral inter- institutions like the w-h-o which they are not a part of and if you're really going to have uh, a, a way to attack the pandemic globally shouldn't Taiwan be part of that effort hmm.
1: Interesting. All right, let's close it off with uh, your tweet about yes. Neil <laughs> meeting the Queen. Now, we're ta- now, we're, now.
0: I don't even know where to start We're talking with this. about
2: political <laughs> insensit- insensitivities. See, I can't even say it, and there was almost a political furore last night because furore, he's wow. uh, a, 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 our friend, Mr. Steve Oaken, alluded. That Joe Biden had met the Queen more times than I. Well, until last night, that <laughs> wasn't true. It, it
0: might- I, 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 a- I asked. I didn't allude. I asked. I said, "Look, I said I've met, look, I've met a couple presidents, and I've never met the Queen. I would think meeting the Queen is much more impressive uh, than meeting a president." And so I was just wondering if you'd met a Queen. Well, I met have.
2: The queen in how many times? Very briefly, the Queen Elizabeth II when she came to Topayu in two thousand and six. I was there with my Singaporean friend. I said shamelessly quick give me your kid and i put the kid on my shoulders <laughs> and the queen kind of stopped and nodded and so it wasn't exactly a, a banquet dinner but did i have say, met the, love yeah go blimey governor <laughs> i have met the queen in topayu of all places and did, prince did william she as well talk to you no
1: Okay, so you really haven't <laughs> well, met her. You've seen the Queen up nor close. Nor had she spoken to Joe Biden <laughs> until yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to conflate the, conflate the... So you haven't actually met
2: the Queen. You have seen the Queen up close. Yes. Thank you. And I have That's seen brilliant. Prince William's uh, bald spot up close. And I will say this. I have had a letter from Prince William, an actual letter from Prince William, thanking me for the book that he was given that I'd wrote about Singapore I had a, a and he signed it him, well I say he'd signed it one of his <laughs> that's one that's of his sure butlers had signed it but you sure know picked up his pen and just said oh
0: yeah Neil right, Humphreys yeah so Neil, yeah. Right, so Neil me, you, you've met the Queen like you've met Loki
2: yes <laughs> and very memorable encounters they were. Steve, <laughs> this is why we have you on the show. You are welcome back every Saturday. I think we've got another guest next week at nine thirty. <laughs> I've got Tom Hiddleston coming on.
1: All right, Steve Ogan. Thanks again. Appreciate your time today.
0: Thanks, guys. International news review.